Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Todd and Taylor Show. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. How are you doing, Todd? I'm doing uh, pretty well. Little, little, uh, little behind the eight ball this morning. Ah. <laughs> Just poured my coffee um, that I made after our phone call started. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, quite all right. How are you doing? Um, I'm actually, this is the one of the, usually it's the other way around. Usually you're all ready to go and I'm like, oh, hang on, hang on. This is the first morning where I'm like, oh, I'm ready. I'm good. It's yeah. good. Uh, and, and part of it is just because it, it's finally snowed here in Manitou Springs. Finally. Like we've lived here now since before Thanksgiving and it's finally snowed and it's glorious out. So I was in a chipper, right, right chipper mood this morning. Are there snow activities that you're looking forward to participating in? <sighs> Not today. Sadly, I just have a bunch of work to catch up on. I do. I have not been out skiing or snowboarding. I, I snowboard. I shouldn't say skiing. Um, I haven't snowboarded at all this year. So hopefully soon. Um, it just It's just going to be dry again for a while. This is kind of like the one day of January where it's snowing at all. So I don't know. We just, yeah. it's been really, really dry, really dry so far this season. Yeah. Uh, same here. You may have heard we, <laughs> right, <laughs> all, yes. of, all of California caught on fire. <laughs> And now oh, um, let's, let's do a quick update. I, I sadly, uh, because things hadn't like changed, I had, I kind of fell out of uh, the loop with the story. Have they, is it under control? Is it still just as bad? No, all the fires are, you know, out in the dangerous sense of the word. I'm sure there's something going on, but um, uh, then we had mudslides, you know, in mm. the last couple of weeks, which have been really terrible. So, wow. But LA is, LA is no longer burning down. Right. Yeah. We're not, we're not seeing the like plumes of smoke and, you know, ashes like landing on our cars and stuff. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's Um, good. Yeah. So we're doing a uh, coffee and comics this morning where we talk about the coffee we're drinking and then we talk about uh, one comic um, each. And so what are you drinking this morning? Uh, this morning, once again, as in previous episodes, I am drinking uh, a custom blend from the Bad River Coffee Company uh, in old, good old western South Dakota, uh, very near my hometown. It's really good. And actually, for Christmas, I got a Bad River Coffee Company mug, and I'm drinking out of that as well. So multiple shout-outs to the good folks at the Bad River Coffee Company. It is um, it is sort of just your bog-standard you know, medium roast, but it's got a – I don't know, there's, there's sort of a – a berry kind of flavor to it that I really like, especially if you get the right amount of, um, I always put heavy whipping cream in when I do an AeroPress or a French press. And so when, if you get the right amount in, it really kind of brings out and evens out the flavor uh, in the coffee. I know some people are like, you're never supposed to put cream in your coffee. I, I need to at least a little bit. Uh, I, I appreciate the good creamless coffee once in a great while. Um, but for the most part, I need to have it. So it's I, I'm a I'm a fan. I always freshly grind it, so that makes a huge huge difference. So but when you, you say oh. a custom blend, is is that a uh, th- that's something they created, right? It's not like you created your own custom. Correct. Blend? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. They they custom roasted it and have their own like special blend that they that they huh. sell. Um, cool. and then it's uh, you can either buy ground or unground, and I've got the the unground uh, version. The bean just smelling the beans just as they are before you even grind them. Just it's such a glorious smell. I wish they make a candle out of this. It's so good. Yeah. They what about you, sir? How, how go yours? How goes your uh, sort of well, adventures in coffee making? I think even though it wasn't a coffee and comics episode in our last Todd and Taylor show, I, I, I talked a lot about how I was trying a different roast. Um, I'm trying to uh, Guatemala Antigua blend the Starbucks thing, of course, but just to, I'm just simplifying the experiments, you know, just mm-hmm. stick with, stick with the one company that over roasts their beans. Like I like, um, <laughs> and, uh, I had pretty good luck with it last week. Not so good luck with it this morning. Although that is entirely because of my haste to put it together. So mm-hmm. I've got a kind of watery too milky cup of coffee sitting in front of me. It's <laughs> <laughs> not exactly iced. Wow. <laughs> it's not, uh, I, I thought it was, uh, made the coffee, put it in the fridge, but this was all while you and I were doing our preliminary show stuff and, uh, <laughs> and took it out of the fridge and thought it was cold enough, dropped some ice cubes in it. They instantly melted. So yeah, anyway, that's not the coffee's fault. That is just the, uh, neophyte coffee maker. Me. Hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, I'm excited for this, uh, this particular episode. I have a, I have a pick that I'm very, very excited on. I've been sitting on for a while, but as oh. per usual, let's start with your pick because I'm, I want to hear your, your cool. first. 
I'm I'm excited as well because I think uh, I, yeah this this whole format really gets to me where we don't tell each other what we've picked and then <laughs> and well, I, I yeah Go I was ahead, gonna say it's kind of it's kind of fun because like uh, I I and well, I'll talk more about this in a minute but like I was wrestling this morning with a a very very avant garde indie pick or something a little bit more mainstream but but um, very interesting and I'm like what what's gonna be more interesting for Todd to hear about. Like it's, I kind of like the fact that like, I'm kind of, I'm choosing it for you first and foremost. And I think by extension, the listeners get a, a, a slightly more you know, considered pick than otherwise. That is an awesome thought process because so what I uh, just, uh, I'll try to say this very quickly. So last week when we were doing our podcast, the maybe the night before or something, I'd kind of gone into the weekend thinking we're going to do coffee and comics. And then, you had suggested, well, there's a bunch of news and some shows that you wanted to catch up on. So we just changed to do that. So I had this comic already picked out to do. And at that time, I had gone through this whole thought process of, you know what? We've both done some drawn and quarterlies and we always do image. So <laughs> what can I pick <laughs> that's not like the same, you know, something that fits into what what's going on? Because I've also have a bunch of volume twos waiting for me to talk about, like uh, Rocket Girl volume two and Bitch Planet volume two. But I wanted to, you know, I wanted to dig, dig a little deeper. So I was looking through my shelf of just like, what are the classics that I want to reread this week? And, um, you know, I just really like, I, I, I feel like it's more of a recommendation than a review, you know, like here's something I can just say, Hey, this has stuck with me for years. So I very quickly, well, actually I went through a couple and then, and then uh, got honed in on um, or, or homed in on uh, something by Jeff Loeb and Tim sale, because they have done a couple of series that I just think are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Loeb is the writer, Tim sales, the artist. I love there, uh, I mean, it's just, this is going to be one of those episodes too, where I just can't say enough good things about them. So it's just all going to be uh, hyperbole and <laughs> like mm. very excited conversation about them because the writing is so smart and people often uh, talk about, you know, like uh, I, I, we should take comics writing seriously for sure. But mm-hmm. if you're reading a lot of, you know, weekly comics and, or, you know, the monthly comics, like the, the floppies and stuff. And like, you're just bound. If you're reading a lot of superhero stuff and even non-superhero stuff, you're going to run into that thing where you're like, well, actually this, this is comic book writing. And it, mm-hmm. it may be, it may be kind of smart for comics, but it's not like a novel and Jeff mm-hmm. Loeb. And, as, and I can only really speak to his work with Tim sale. I think it's, I mean, it is like a novelistic, you know, it's kind of like Graham. I mean, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Um, <laughs> Alan Moore. Alan Moore, thank you, Jesus. Make, I, I love how you knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, Alan Moore's well, I, writing I mean, is very similar. And that, same I thing with Grant Morrison, I think too. You know, I mean, it just those when those guys, Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, Jeff Loeb, when they do a project that they own, yeah, it turns into something you know deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, um, uh, I, I, sorry for this long buildup. They they did like my favorite Batman books. Um, we're going to talk in another episode about a current comic that might end up being yours and my favorite Batman mm-hmm. book, but mm-hmm. they did uh, a book called the long Halloween, which is oh, so freaking beautiful and good. Um, and they followed that up with a uh, haunted night and dark victory. I think I got those two, right? So those are all, Batman books. And one of them was like their take on the introduction of Robin, which I thought was just so great. And they did um, another book together called Catwoman when in Rome um, and one called a Superman for all seasons that I've recommended to you and our friend drew. Um, and uh, which is a very Norman Rockwell kind of portrait of Superman. Um, so they're just like, it, it's like these guys, when they go through the, the canon of big heroes, it it always stands out to me, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of Batman stories out there. It's really hard to say, Oh, this is where you should start, you know, but I would always say like, get long Halloween. <laughs> it's got all that stuff, like all the detective stuff that you want and everything. Anyway, that's not even my pick. <laughs> then they did a series. They did a series for Marvel and all of they, they singled in on one hero for each. Mm. And each one was uh, themed to a color 
of that that hero. So they did three of those, Spider-Man Blue. Actually, maybe they did more, but I have Spider-Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, because Daredevil's first costume was yellow. Oh, and okay. Hulk Gray is my pick this week. Wow. So, these, yeah, long introduction to how I got to Hulk Gray. But, you know, I, so I went through this whole shelf of like Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale stuff and was mm-hmm. like, oh, which one? And, and then I, I did that counterintuitive thing where I thought, well, I really want to talk about Spider-Man or Daredevil. Like that would be much more interesting to, to or not interesting. That would be more, I would be more excited about it. And so I just went opposite that impulse and pulled out the Hulk because I thought, yeah, I never really liked the Hulk. And I remember kind of like in their take on it, you know, what, what am I going to get from this? Um, and it is, uh, yeah, I mean, I just loved it. I loved rereading it. Uh, I actually couldn't do it in one sitting. I think it took me about three sittings and mm. partly that was on, on purpose. Uh, but partly, you know, I mean, it was like somewhat, somewhat accidental. I started reading late at night and I thought, you know what, I'll get back to this tomorrow. But then sort of on purpose the next day, I, I got to a certain point and went, you know what, I, I'm going to put this down for a while. And so you and I often talk about like how we read a thing mm-hmm. and I, I figure that was pretty important. Like it actually took me, you know, some uh, three sittings at least to like kind of get through this. And it's not like the ideas in it are, you know, we're not talking about like Foucault's pendulum or something here. It's not like that kind mm-hmm. of novel, you know I mean? Mm-hmm. It is still a comic book um, and can be read in a couple of sittings, but it is, uh, it's just a really smart comic book. And um, so, boy, I could talk, I could go on so many well, tangents. Before you, before, I, yeah, yeah, before jump you in, say please. that, um, did you, how many, I guess I'm assuming you, there's like a trade paperback version or a hardcover yes. version. How many is. issues does that collect? That is a great question. I want to say it's six. Okay. Um, I'm frantically flipping to the end. And what, so, while you while you flip, was it meant to be just a one and done, or was this like, and eh, we might continue this at some point? No, they were all um, they were all very much conceived of as like you know a whole project. Okay, you know, it was good. yeah, the Spider Man Blue, Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray. That was it was just wrapped up um, in that story that they were going to tell. Okay. Yeah. So it, it, you know, with Hulk, there's so many ways to jump in. Um, I'll talk about a, a podcaster I really like called John Hodgman. Um, he was just on, do you listen to, uh, uh, what is that called? Um, stuff you should know or yeah. Uh, once um, or twice. Yeah. I've, I've Josh and Chuck. Yeah, well, yeah. Chuck has another podcast called movie crush. And I just listened to an episode where John Hodgman is talking about the Avengers. And he, he briefly mentions the Ang Lee Hulk movie, which I enjoy. Uh, but Hodgman points out this really crucial element to it where he was like, it's really just a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know, mm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ang Lee got really far away from that. And the farther he gets away from it, the, you know, the weirder it is. So, well, that's interesting. They say that because the, the reason I like the Ed Norton kind of course correction movie was it went, it went back a little bit more to the Jekyll and Hyde thing. But what I really liked was when Mark Ruffalo shows up in Avengers, he plays that very, like he's constantly referring to like the other guy and like yeah, they play on exactly. that. Even, even at Thor Ragnarok, like there's a lot of, like, you know, oh, he's been, you know, he was basically Mark Ruffalo's, you know, uh, Bruce Banner's like, he's been out this whole time. Like, I just, that to me, I can't handle the Hulk as much. And I think even like the TV show going back, way back, I think had a lot of that going on too, where he was, you know, this, this kind of tortured soul on the road, on the run and just going from place to place. So the Ang Lee movie just really just threw me so far out of the loop and then aspects of the Norton movie still while it was a course correction we're just like eh, I don't he's not a I like it better when he's a tortured scientist and not like this nuclear weapon that's going to go off at any point in time like that's kind of how they treated him <laughs> both the first two and so I'm just and I understand that there's part of the character's pathos and just you know there, there's you can go down that rabbit hole but I just for me the Hulk is at its best when Bruce Banner and then even like there's been some scenes both in the movies but also in comics where you know, like Bruce is looking in the mirror and he sees like the Hulk face looking back and they'll have like a conversation or he'll yeah. like look in a reflection and they have this like, and sometimes they agree quote unquote to work together, you know, for to solve something. And right. I just love that. That duality played that way is, is my favorite version of Hulk. You're making me think of the, the old TV show and granted I have never revisited it and I just have a shoddy memory of this, but I, I seem to remember that the overall theme of it was really banner trying to like it was his quest to find a cure for it you know yes it was yes 
um, yeah, it was uh, sort of the incidental <laughs> things that, you know, bothered the Hulk in between Banner really trying to find this. It wasn't about a superhero, you know, no, it but, was that. But a lot Jekyll of times Hyde he was, quest. I mean, he'd roll into town kind of quantum leap style or Mad Max yeah. style, you know, he'd roll in and then have to solve some problem. And, you know, sometimes the Hulk would cause the problem, but a lot of times the Hulk was used to like, you know, fix the, you know, fix the problem. And it's, it was a little bit better too, because he, at that point, the Hulk couldn't jump around and do these crazy acrobatic things that CGI can let him do now. So it was much, much more grounded. I just remember as a kid, really being fascinated by that. Like, and I, I don't think at, at the time I even knew why I liked it so much, but I really liked that show. And I think it was because here's this guy who's got like all these abilities, but he can't control it. And he's sort of this, this, you know, societal pariah walking around trying to you know find his way and just that every episode more or less ends with him you know walking down the highway hitchhiking you hear that dun, 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 like that piano interlude that became so famous yeah <laughs> like which makes me sorry to get off on a tangent that makes me all the more sad we can't have a ruffalo only like just like another hulk movie with ruffalo really exploring that side of things you know i don't it's at that maybe the maybe the character maybe just maybe the Incredible Hulk as a character now is too big to, for a small intimate story like that, which is why he's he's a better utility player. Well, I don't know. You know, but hearing a, a Hodgman talk about the the original Avengers movie really brought back a lot of those lines that like just even though they didn't have much time to work with, uh, like you said, we got a lot of that Jekyll and Hyde from. Ruffalo's character and fr like from that story and one of the most haunting lines is where he talks about how he tried to kill himself mm -hmm. and he put a gun in his mouth and the big guy spit out the bullet. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, yeah. That's dark. Um, so may maybe they can continue to fill in the shades. I mean, I think, you know, I wouldn't exactly call it a shortcoming of Ragnarok. It was just the, again, a time constraint, but they couldn't really go into too much Hulk stuff. He was, yeah. yeah. Um, we got a few lines of Banner, you know, talking about him, like you said, like, geez, he's been here the whole time, but um, uh, not too much filled in around that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's a tough character to do. And so Loeb and Sale, this is so crazy. Uh, they set out to make Hulk Gray um, take place in the 24 hours after Incredible Hulk number one. Whoa. So it's not... <laughs> it's not a retelling of the origin as such. Like it's not remixing the origin. Like we've seen many other creators, you know, <clears throat> go back and kind of you know, tweak the canon a little bit to sort of put their own spin on it. That's not what they're doing. Hmm. They're fitting their entire story into the day or two between incredible Hulk number one and incredible Hulk number two. What's really funny about that is that it's exactly what the recent doctor who regeneration episode did as well to the first doctor. They, <laughs> they, they took, they took the 10, what would have been like 10 minutes watching the original 1960s episode. They filled in that 10 minute gap with like, what was he doing in between there? And because he has a time machine, you can do anything you really want to do and stretch time out. So they were perfectly able to layer this new story into that same, and then even to the point where they they matched shot frame for frame the original black and white footage so that it blended back in when they when they transitioned back. So I I am totally on board for this kind of thing where it's like, hey, we're not gonna re we're not gonna retcon anything. We're just gonna provide a lot more context, yeah. which yeah. is. And it's almost it's it's almost doubly satisfying because a you get a good story, but b you're like okay they they purposely set up these rules for themselves that like we're gonna we're not yeah. gonna mess with the context, but we're gonna provide something a little bit more sophisticated that still honors the original story, but is is you know feels more modern day in terms of its tone. Like yeah. I I am on board for all that. So so like well, and then do they, do they pull it off? I guess oh for sure. And then for a reader, I think it, it does something additional, which is if you previously interpreted like, you know, the origin of the Hulk is just kind of, uh, you know, a, a guy that turns green. Now you've got all this backstory to go back and go, oh, I can sort of fill in their story. You know, I can go read Hulk comics with this in mind and go, oh, yeah, it's a lot more complicated, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked up this is weird because um, many years ago. I remember there being like before there were all these different colored Hulks, uh, <laughs> red Hulk and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I remember there being like a, a sort of a trivia point of why 
the Hulk looked gray in the first couple of issues. And I'm totally not sure. Cause when I went back to look it up, uh, all I found were all these like in Canon explanations of all the different colored Hulks, red Hulk and gray Hulk and green Hulk and all that stuff. But as a, you know, a younger reader, what I thought I knew was that the Hulk was always intended to be green, but there was a, like a color printing sort of issue with, with putting that much green into a comic book, you know, in the mm. first issue. And he just mm. sort of came out gray. Wow. And they, and then they just, it was like a, you know, one of those physical problems that they ended up turning into a, an ex, a canon in canon explanation, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I thought I remembered was that either he was meant to be fully gray or fully green. And there was basically like uh, the printer couldn't pull it off. And so they just had to choose one or something like that, you know? Um, and then he stayed that way until they could fully correct it. And, and he was green. But what Loeb does is he takes the gray, of course. I mean, that's the, their whole color series was, was, you know, about playing with those themes. Um, and then it becomes the gray, which is the distinction between the black and white of Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. So it's like, what is this gray area? Oh, you know, I love it. I how love much, it. how much does Banner blame himself for the events? And then to make it even cooler. And this is like, I honestly, I think if you just, if I said this about any modern superhero or something, it might sound almost like a, 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 a trope, but I, I, it feels so original and so perfect. This whole story is banner telling the story of those first 24 hours to a, uh, a psychologist friend of his. So it is mm-hmm. basically a therapy session. So, um, you know, there is now just very accepted way in superhero comics where the, vo- there's always a narrator's voice of like the hero, you know, mm-hmm. in a Batman book, there'll always be this sort of persistent rectangle that is, you know, Batman's thoughts, like he's speaking mm-hmm. to himself, but in this, um, it's banner and the psychologist's friend speaking to each other. So, what's really funny know. about that? Well, what's really funny about that is they. I that, remember at the very end of Iron Man three, the post credit stinger is Tony Stark. He was narrating, you know, all of Iron Man three, and you find out he was actually narrating it to Bruce Banner, sitting in kind of like a psychiatrist chair, falling asleep, trying to listen to the story. So it's interesting they kind of borrowed a little bit from that and flipped it. I honestly forgot about that, but that yeah yeah. So Iron Man three would have uh, would have borrowed that from Hulk Gray if they were thinking that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 gosh, I mean, it's just like, the, it's, yeah. so everything about, <laughs> where do I start? There's so well, let me ask you, start. okay, let me, let me, uh, as, as somebody yeah, yeah. who is familiar enough with the heart, with the whole canon, but I haven't, I'll to be honest, I haven't read, most of my Hulk stuff is from, you know, video, uh, like either animated or just like the TV show or the movies. So when they, when they're seeing, I guess in the, in the original incarnation, does, how does Bannon become infected or how does he how does he gain this you know gain the hulk the first time around is it because he's um experimenting on himself does something go wrong because there's been a couple different origins stories oh no this this is the uh the this is the pure sort of you know issue number one story of um uh so banner works for the government he is a scientist that is working with the gamma radiation and a gamma bomb or something and there is a bomb uh, a test that is about to go off in the desert. Uh, and this local youth that's like, you know, kind of a, a miscreant um, named Rick. I can't remember what his last name is. I want to say flag, but that's the guy from suicide squad. Right. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's Rick something. And he, uh, he wanders onto the base um, and is, banner realizes he is going to be killed by the blast. So banner runs out there and saves him, you know, throws him into a trench, but then Banner is caught in the blast. Okay. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about Rick. I remember that being a character in the TV show, I think. And, um, uh, wait, or am I thinking of Rick from Magnum PI? Hmm. Um, (laughs) Or Rick from Walking Dead. (laughs) Uh, So many Ricks. It wasn't a Rick in the TV show, the Hulk, but, um, I remember Rick in some of the comics. Um, and he, but in this one, he's clearly portrayed as like a basically suicidal um, punk, you know, whose, whose family's kind of abandoned him. And he's, he's 
you know, he's already is sort of a, a scoff law and a, you know, yeah, just a punk. And, and he wanders on this base, but they, they strongly imply that it was not, uh, not for like hooliganism, just that he wandered on because he knew he would be killed in this test blast. I think, I think that, I think that's sort of the implication here. Um, so yeah, you've got, so, you know, I mean, there's, uh, that happens in the book, like, but it is, uh, it's told through, oh man. I mean, it's just so beautiful. So it opens up the first panel is just black and white. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is like a Frank Miller looking just that real stark black and white of, um, the exterior of a building where uh, Banner is in there talking to his uh, psychiatrist friend or psychologist. I don't, I don't know if they make it clear. Um, and then the first color you see is Banner's eyes that are green. And so it goes on to this, like this, the panels just keep going through this black and white as Banner is starting to tell the story and what he's never told before to his uh, psychiatrist friend and then, um, I don't know, four or five pages into it, there's just this shocking green panel of the gamma bomb exploding mm. and, ba- and Banner being there just, you know, basically turned into a skeleton, like with his skin blowing off in this Whoa. green explosion, you know? Wow. Um, and then he, and then he jumps in the trench with Rick and, uh, and he realizes like, I, I shouldn't have survived that. Something's wrong. It's more like, it's interesting. Cause I, I just now realizing um, that is very much more similar to the origin of Dr. Manhattan than, um, uh, other, like, you know, there's always, I, I, I kind of fall on the uh, origin story of like the TV show, which the Ed Norton movie actually, uh, honored, which was, he's, he was experimenting on, on himself with the super soldier serum, um, yep. kind of formulating like a last ditch, almost like, a, a referencing another movie, almost like a Willem Dafoe and Spider-Man where he's like, you know, he was, he drinks the super soldier right. serum himself too does that so it's like i kind of and i like that but the the oh i sacrificed myself or i basically was torn apart by this by science and then had to put myself back together again like i like i like that i know obviously the hall came first and watchmen either honored it or just influenced by it later on but i like the idea of the scientist protagonist having to piece back together a semblance of their life after science itself threw them out you know threw them into disarray yeah and it turns um uh I mean, the Hulk story is always pivoted on that. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we, our podcast began <laughs> with us talking about Age of Ultron mm-hmm. and my ongoing <laughs> series of glorified blog posts as articles, uh, like uh, analyzing the Avengers movies as a pacifist and how the Avengers are all like they're terrible people who are all working to make the weapons that then, you know, grant them their own superpowers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And there is this great element to the Hulk story. Like, I mean, in a dramatic way, like it's, it's not in a (laughs) very moral philosophical way. It's not great, but um, in a dramatic way, Banner works for general Ross. Mm -hmm. And so when he goes missing after the blast, because Rick takes him first to a doctor and then because he transforms into the Hulk and, and kind of can't, transform back for a while you know um so when he goes missing during that time ross is pursuing him not because he's concerned for banner's welfare but because banner is a a weapon he is an asset like his brain that helps them make the gamma bomb is that's what he wants to recover you know he just wants that that person working for him again Mm -hmm. so he's there's no concern for his his safety or anything like that it's Mm -hmm. like where'd my asset go gotcha Um, so it, it lends it this, you know, you, you see Ross as uh, not the protector of civilian society against the Hulk rampaging so much as like, you know, the jealous war hawk mm-hmm. that just wants his own weapon back. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't even realize that, that Banner is the Hulk, you know, he just, wants back. and there's a really great wrinkle, which, um, you know, uh, I, you know, it's kind of it, it's a it is a spoiler, but I think it's a spoiler that will only make you want to read this more. Which is that as Banner is telling this story to his psychiatrist, uh, he explains how they the Ross then sent his number two weapon after him, Tony Stark, in, um, an, iron, in an iron costume. Wow! But they never. I don't think they even use the word. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I think the psychiatrist says 
you know, says Tony Stark's name, but Ross doesn't describe it that way. Um, and Hulk nearly kills him. And so then the psychiatrist is like, well, what? We, we never heard about that. It wasn't in the papers. And he's like, yeah, of course it wasn't in the papers. Stark works with the government, mm. you know? And <laughs> it was like, yeah, of course the, the government's not going to tell you they sent out a secret weapon, you know, to get control over this, this hulking monster that they created. Um, so I, I just, I love that sport. Like the confrontation between Hulk and classic Iron Man, who is in this just gold suit that looks sort of like a, you know, <laughs> underwater tank kind of thing mm-hmm. is it's perfect. You know? Um, yeah, I have a, a, a strong dislike for uh, Tony Stark. So it's, it was great for me. Um, yeah. And it just, you know, the way the psychiatrist is constantly challenging banner to explore, like, why are you blaming yourself for this? Or even pushing it the other way. Like, you know, don't, don't you mean you did these things, not the Hulk, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it just gives it this great, uh, you know, new dimension on it. And then the Hulk sort of single-minded um, pursuit of Betty becomes much more sad to me, you know, mm-hmm. um, because they're starting from a timeline because they have that psychiatrist dimension, you know, where he's telling the story, like in reverse, mm-hmm. um, they, we know at that point, like in the timeline, Betty is dead. And so Banner's talking about those first two days when he was just pursuing her sort of relentlessly, like trying mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know, in the Hulk brain, he didn't understand what he was doing. He was just trying to get to her, you know? And so there along the way, it's just this great, um, all the stuff you would expect from a Hulk story, you know, the, the military coming after him and just like, uh, uh you know, uh, these great like double page spreads of destruction where it's, you just see the aftermath where like banner wakes up as banner and there's, you know, a crashed helicopter and a tank that's on fire and a troop truck that's turned over. Um, and, but it's uh, portrayed across the desert, you know, uh, that Mm. just spreads out across two pages and, Mm. and yeah, Tim sales art, which I have not talked enough about is just wonderful. He's always wonderful. The, um, Banner is definitely like the scrawny, you know, doctor nerd character. There's nothing Mark Ruffalo-ish about him. Um, and Rick is drawn in this just great, like kind of 1950s, 1960s greaser way of the, you know, the jeans with the huge cuff in them and the, you know, the uh, quaffed up hair. Uh, yeah, it's just, it, it's really awesome. And, and the whole well, I was going to say, yeah. it, reminds me, it reminds me a lot of Nick Dragata art, honestly, because I was oh. sitting here looking through panels. I'm like, man, this, there's an East to West kind of vibe to, to a lot of these things. And some of that is just the, the uh, economics of the panels. Like a lot of it's, yeah. it's almost like a digital feeling where there's just, it's very, um, you know, instead of a, a, a finger with a bunch of background stuff, it's just like a finger with a solid color background or like the Hulk's, right. you know, it, you know, very, very few things in all the, all the, uh, you know, uh, arms and legs and things are kind of exaggerated, but they're really sort of, I, don't, I can't even describe it. Just, it reminds me of that just big kind of big, bold strokes, um, you know, big open, open panels, not a lot of like intricate detail, which in some, I like the intricate detail, like in other, it, you know, if we ever talk about white knight, I could, I really want to delve right. into that. <laughs> like that's a huge selling point of that book. But in this case, I'm liking, I like the idea of, the gray motif kind of coming in and out as I'm looking at some of these panels online and then just the simplicity of it. Cause in a way, the simplicity of the drawing kind of harkens back to how this would have been drawn. You know, like that's how they're honoring the original spirit of this. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to like overload you. with like, like some crazy, like, you know, hyper real, you know, uh, animation style or something, you know, circuit kingdom come, you know, it's like th- this would, it would have been more, simple simple drawing simple coloring you know that kind of thing i, I really dig that yeah the, yeah the color is obviously a huge part of the color series um and the hulk i i think if you flip through enough you'll see that he's he's drawn so many places where he's like it's like this the king kong kind of ape you know yeah that's like, yeah like uh fearsome um but then he'll just draw such like sensitivity in the eyes it's it's very much like a mashup of uh frankenstein's monster and king kong where there's like a you know you can just tell in his eyes when he hurts betty you know like he's like oh betty hurt and he's you know like they draw the eyes really big with the little pupils in it and the concern on his brow and it's it's just so you know it's definitely um 
not simple in that way of like deceptively simple, just simple in that way of like, it's, it's perfectly simple. You know, it's not overdrawn. There's not a ton of different lines and stuff. I don't know how sale works. If it's like, you know, ink brush or, uh, you know, what, what it is, but they are not, they do not look like thin pencil lines that he starts from, you know, it looks like big, bold lines and stuff like that. And yeah, that's certainly the color. And then, and then of course the, you know, uh, the way they tie all that in between the black and gray, uh, black and white, and then the gray and then the green coming out. Um, it's just, yeah, it's really great. Uh, now do they ever explain <laughs> the, how he became fully green? Like do, just, do they lend some sort of, does like the end of the story explain like how he would have transitioned? You know, that is a good question. Um, I, I, I think they do. And I just don't remember. Um, actually I think all the, uh, boy, I, you threw me with that one. Um, huh. So there's a confusing thing, which is like, like what I was looking up is that Marvel has now explained in Canon why he's sometimes green. Mm. Um, and so Loeb and sale don't try to explain that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just play off that black and white theme being like, it's not all black and white. I mean, that's what the psychiatrist says to him. Like Mm. things are not always black and white. It's so I think you get the feeling from that, that that's why the book up to that point has been very muted colors and a lot of grays, you know, um, the green has been an accent up until the end when, when the Hulk is revealed to be green. Okay. Okay. So I think that's more of like, you can, you can just kind of say it, that's sort of the lighting and the color of, of the comic itself. And it's, it's meant to add to the story, not really like explain the color you're looking at. So yeah. Now, I, digital or physical? Person. Well, I have it physic- physically. Um, there's definitely some great two page spreads that I, you know, I think are, can really be appreciated uh, if you're holding the book, but I wouldn't begrudge anyone for getting this digitally. It's, mm. you know, it's, it's a Marvel trade paperback. So it's not like the physical artifact of it. The artifact of it is very, um, you know, uh, factory created. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? There is a, uh, there is a, uh, hardcover collection of all three yellow, blue, and gray. Oh, I'm looking man. at it. It looks kind of sexy too. I didn't know if that was, um, I don't know, just, just looking at that, I'm like, hmm, that might be interesting. I have the, I, I got uh, Spider-Man blue in hardcover. And I guess I just moved too slowly on Daredevil and Hulk mm. because I have them as the, you know, trade paperback mm. floppy. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, like I said, I, I mean, if you want to get a collector's edition of it, that's awesome. But if it's, if you just want to grab all the lobe and sale, you can, um, yeah, like I said, I wouldn't begrudge anybody getting the digital. I think it, the, I think it would work on digital, you know. The hardcover is seventy four dollars, just FYI on Amazon. If anybody wants to grab that, the uh, I actually I I will. This looks like um, something that would I think at least the Hulk ver- the Hulk um, Hulk story looks like it might be good in digital, just because of the way it's it it, it is a digital sort of uh, art style, like I described previously. At least based on what I'm looking at here, I think that might be an interesting twist. And then well, I think that I, colors would work very well on digital. You know, I think that's. Mm-hmm. That's a problem I have with digital comics a lot is that the I don't get the same, you know, sense of the color like I would in the mm-hmm. hardcover. But, um, you know, because your screens are different or, you know, your screen auto dims or auto brightens or whatever. And it's like mm-hmm. you don't know that you're dialing in the right color that that the artist intended. But um, gotcha. But this one, if you could just make sure that you check out the big spreads in it. Go digital. That's fine. I would say for like long Halloween, <laughs> get that yeah. physically. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the long Halloween, I'd love to talk about it on another episode too, because I yeah. have not read it. And it's always one of the ones that like, you know, people are thrown out their, their top five Batman stories. It's always like, you know, the dark Knight returns killing joke. And then long Halloween's and there's somewhere hush is usually in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, so ha- long Halloween, I'm very excited to talk about because I, ha- I haven't read it and I have a lot of questions. Yeah, well, I have I have rambled on a lot. I definitely think everybody should check out Hulk Gray by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Uh, but I definitely want to know what your pick is for this week. I will try to be a little bit more con- concise. I don't know if that's possible um, in, in explaining this because this is a pretty big, sprawling one. It is a book that, to me, uh, sits on the shelf very much next to uh, books like Watchmen, um, books like uh, East of West or more probably like Inkle, Nightly News. There's like a series of books on my shelf that like really kind of 
either reintroduce me to this medium in a really cool way or strengthen my love of it or show me something completely new and fresh that I never thought I wanted. So like Watchmen, you know, Nightly News, all those books kind of did that. This is one of them. And I remember when it first, when he first started talking about it, <clears throat> I was like, oh, this sounds so interesting. Um, and I'll just, without saying more, I got to say the title. It's Grant Morrison's The Multiversity. And it came out a couple oh, years yeah. ago. He, um, you know, came out as, as single issues. I highly recommend getting the collected uh, volume of everything. And I have the hardcover um, deluxe edition, which I I'll honestly get that. I, I started, I grabbed three issues digitally at first. And I'm glad I did because that introduced me, you know, kind of into this whole thing. But honestly, this, this is one complete work that has to all fit together and you really want everything in one one glorious kind of package and then the deluxe edition has a bunch of other cool stuff too the premise is such grant morrison after he finishes batman run wanted to do something really cool and interesting for dc and dc kind of said you know whatever you want to do like you tell us so he said all right we've got 52 universes 52 uh, you know versions of earth that exist i want to create a limited series that highlights each of them ties it all together and really kind of brings some sense and order to the new 52 in terms of like the actual, you know, the universes, how this, how they work, how they work together or, you know, inter- interdependently. So the way he did this, he's got a, a bookend storyline uh, with Nick Woten, who is the last of the monitors. And he's just like a, a regular, uh, a regular black kid in, in New York uh, you know, trying to pay his rent. And then he becomes, you know, when, when, when uh, nobody's looking, he can become Nick Swoten monitor and he's got all his you know, monitor powers and everything. And he's summoned to another version of earth where um, strangely a, uh, hang on a second, make sure I do this right. Yeah. There's another version of earth where there's like a black Superman who's like president and there's a black wonder woman. And it's, it's mainly like a, I think it's like a black version of most of these heroes, which is kind of cool to see. Strangely, Cyborg is not white; he's still black. Um, but everybody else's everybody else's uh, kind of rate, you know, race changed. He goes in; he's trying to help these guys, um, and then he ends up going to another world where uh, it's kind of like DC's version of the of the Marvel universe. So instead of the Hulk, there's like this big blue baby. And instead of like Iron Man, there's something that looks very similar to Iron Man. They don't. It's it's clearly meant to be there their kind of version of that. There's like a Dr. Doom, you know, kind of uh, uh, sort of character that's there too. So it's they're they're cake and eating it too, by not having to pay the Marvel licensing fees or anything like that. He goes in and, and very clearly you see these, these other kind of evil characters appear um, and take hold of Nick Swoten. And they, you know, they, he gets sucked into this kind of evil dimension. The rest of the issues are from completely different universes and they're all, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you a, a summary of each in just a second they all tail into each other and at the end of each issue that comic book is being read by the people in the next in the next issue in the next world so it kicks off like the very first one is um is uh, kind of an, an old school kind of pulp um uh secret society of superheroes uh it's got this parallel planet thing going on it's got um uh, uh dr fate is i think the main character in it um some of these that like i think etrigan is in it uh what's the uh hang on a second what's the guy uh the immortal guy um oh my god sorry this is taking too long <laughs> can't figure out what's the name what's the main dc immortal oh god it's uh i'm looking right I at him what? i don't know any of the immortals <laughs> oh no he's the one guy who's he's been he was in the first uh season of uh, of uh, legends of tomorrow um oh my god i'm looking right at him his name isn't here I, I, i'm losing all my geek cred right now anyway um yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come anyway it's a it's a nice classic throwback um kind of like you know pulp thing but at the end of it the next issue the people in that issue are reading the issue that we just read as readers and that keeps happening through and at the very end it bookends with a return to the universe that nix woten was being held captive in the whole thing comes together so it's just it's really well interwoven there's a lot of sort of uh kind of the overarching narrative is based on music and scales and musical structures and things so narratively it it plays with that it was really grant morrison's way of like honoring and, and doing kind of an issue one of all of these universes so each of these each of these one shots could very easily be issue one of a long running series um the second one is is uh, this kind of like almost like this play on like like 17 magazine um called the just 
and it's all the kids of the you know of the of the Justice League that we know all grown up. It's almost like kind of a, a weird spiritual sequel to Kingdom Come because all the all the the uh, art style is very similar. I should note too that the he works with the different artists on each each issue. So you get this like really wide gamut of, mm. of really cool art styles. So like this one, like I said, it, it could easily be after um, in Kingdom Come. It shows like what happens to the kids when they grow up. They, basically, their parents left them a world free of any crimes. They're they're all bored. They basically stage these almost like uh, tribute band, you know, like fights with each other. Like, hey, okay, Lex Luthor's daughter, you'll do what your father did here, and then we'll do this. And they they kind of like you know play act uh, all these old old things, trying to figure out who they're supposed to be in this world. Because everything's basically been been solved, so that's kind of cool. Then another issue is um, he teamed up with Frank Quietly, and this is actually the issue that got me really hooked in and interested in this thing. He does this uh, issue called Pax Americana, which is uh, uh, the uh, the original Charlton characters on which the Watchmen were based. They did a entire Watchmen like issue with the Charlton characters. So it's you know all the instead of instead of Rorschach, it's the question, you know, and instead of Mm. Um, I, you know, Night Owl, it's the Blue Beetle or whatever his name is. Uh, instead of um, of uh, Doctor Manhattan, it's the Atom. Um, so it shows these. It, it uses the same panel structure as Watchmen, the same sort of like you know clockwork, um, you know, uh, it, you know, puzzle box, um, sort of self referencing. Uh, circular logic of Watchmen, and it was intentional. He's like he wanted to do kind of in the same way the Ruddles sent. You know, remember the Ruddles back in the day with Eric <laughs> yes. Idle? It's kind of like their parody of the Beatles, Hard Day's Night. He wanted to he wanted to basically parody the Watchmen with the characters that they were originally based on, and it works really, really, really well. Like hmm. I just I really like. It's really cool seeing the Charlton characters in this context because that's that was originally the intent. Like they wanted. DC wanted Alan Moore and and, um, and friends to like write, kind of like you know use the Charlton characters in this way. Instead, they they kind of created the the uh, the metaphorical versions. Another another issue is about um, Shazam, and it's kind of you know big and bubbly and has the sort of like you know very kid friendly art style with Shazam. Another issue. Now is, is it uh, definitely? I mean, it's Shazam. That's not a parody of another character. No, no, it's clear. It's very much Shazam. Um, okay. Another issue is uh, what if Superman? Like a what if? What if Superman had been? You know, his ship had crashed in Nazi Germany, and he grew up a Nazi. Um, so he's the Overman, and basically the Justice League is this whole like reconstituted version of you know, like what if the Nazis had won? What would the Justice League look like? And if they were all you know like Nazis, and so instead of um, you know, there's like a female flash and instead of uh, wonder woman, it's like another woman from Themyscira. Who's kind of like a, like a, you know, a German slant on that. And instead of Martian Manhunter, it's something else. So it's, it's a really cool, well done. Um, you know, what if, and it's honestly of all of the ones I wish would be turned into regular series. I, this is the one I really want to see more, more issues of. Cause they really, they really did it well. Like you're almost as captivated by this. You kind of forget that there's this big overarching narrative going on with the entire multiversity project. Um, another one. And the other, the other issue that really kind of hooked me in, they, they did a, um, a guidebook to all 52 universes. So there's a short little story, um, that kicks it off, but it's, it's kind of a space version of Batman, um, discovers this guidebook. And and this is where Grant Morrison really, like he shows you a map of the multiverse and he shows you like a little profile of, of all the, different earths and the characters that are from there and what their deal is, which is great. Cause that clarifies some of the issues we've already read. It sets up, um, it lets you sort of you know, understand the, uh, the issues to come. If it, it, it leaves a lot of question marks for other DC creators to kind of pick up things. Um, Vandal Savage, that's his name, by the way, that's the immortal I was trying to reference before Vandal freaking Savage. Sorry. Well, I never would have come up with that. So I'm yikes. Yikes. So that, that, that was a really cool thing. Like just seeing this guidebook kind of appear and you get to kind of really like, if you, if you haven't been as up to date on the DC universe, this really lets you kind of see all the cool alternate creations and characters and things. So it's all, all in Canon. He basically took all the Canon and wrapped it up. The issue that's, that really sort of ties this together that, that makes this truly a Grant Morrison book is this one. uh, It's one, it's called ultra comics. And it's an issue. It's got it's got this uh, in other in other one shots. Other characters are reading this Ultra Comics issue, and they're talking about you know it's it's kind of got this mythology. Like if apparently if you read this, you'll die. Like if you read this comic, you you'll you'll die. So it's got like this you know big warning on it. Like you you can't read this comic. So then eventually this com this issue appears. 
you know, in the book, you're like, oh God, here's the here's the issue they keep talking about. And it's really effed up. Like it's this character called Ultra Comics, and he's talking directly to you, the reader, the entire time. And it's it's creepy and unnerving and like all these weird things happened, and you're just like, what what is going on? Like, and it, it ties into the overarching narrative, but in weird, really weird, disturbing kind of ways. And so then it just sort of ends and you're like, uh, okay, uh, that's strange. And then it, it, uh, cuts to the ending, um, issue, which ties to the original, you know, the opening with Nick's Woten. And you find out this ultra comics character is actually, there's a lot more going on with him than was revealed to begin with. And then the whole thing ends. Um, and it could keep going, but the whole thing, you know, kind of, ends in terms of the, the the immediate narrative so you're left with this like all these questions and you're like wow what a what a, a what an amazing creative achievement because grant morrison went through and wrote all it's it was kind of like he had all these chances to do all the things he, he always wanted to do with these characters and he did it without using mainstream you know justice league characters he did you know the kind of the alternate superman the alternate there was like this this rabbit character that's like kind of fun and cool that's you know, main character. And like, he was able to, you know, you see at one point, like all the flashes from all the universes have to come together, but it's not like, they're not led by like the main, you know, earth flash that we know he's, it's led by like this alternate flash that we've gotten to know throughout the book. So it's kind of cool. He was able to do all these things without invoking, you know, the core justice league that we know. Um, he was able to, and they're, they're all there. Sometimes they're, they're standing in the background, but it's not, uh, it's not like they're the only ones who can, who can fix this. Other versions of these characters are perfectly, capable of solving these problems, which I really like too. Um, so there's all this create, you know, there's just these creative slants. He works with all these different artists. Um, you know, Frank quietly just being in this at all is amazing. Um, and then the fact that he was able to kind of weave this really cool narrative while also setting it up so he could keep going if he wanted to, you know, he could do an, a multiversity too, but it also, like I said, it, it really gives you a, a clear understanding of the, of the, the new 52, how it all fits together. Uh, the history of, of collapsing and, and expanding all the universes. So it's as somebody who was never, you know, I never caught up with any of that stuff. I wasn't quite aware. Right. So it was kind of cool to be, be like, Oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's right. He's referencing flashpoint. Oh, it's this. And it's not like, it's like this. It's, it's almost kind of like the, uh, this has happened before this will happen again. Sort of vibe. You know, it's like this, hmm. all of this is, is cyclical. And it, it kind of goes back to music notes again. Like there's the ship that they use to travel between universes in is uh, a ship built like it's 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 like music uh realized in physical space so he's able to like they're able to play certain musical tones and notes and uh appear in a a different universe so it's kind of just the whole thing is built the more you read it the more you, you realize how layered it is and how just how what a great little great little series this is and again it's i'm of the big two i'm always a sucker for stuff that you know, isn't just mains that, that that's left of center. That's alternate that, that tweaks what we know from the big two. And I, you know, I don't mind a big two, you know, just straight up story now and then, but like, I like the stuff that gives me all the edges and, and twists and turns and, you know, like, what if this, or what if this, like that's, those are the big two stories I really like, you know, injustice gods among us. I've been a huge fan of that series. Cause it's just a big old, what if um, white Knight, which we've talked about numerous times is a big, what if Like I love all that. And this feels very comfortable with those kinds of stories. Hmm. And you know, so we, um, we have this spotty history with this too, because I think we talked about this <clears throat> on a really early Todd and Taylor show. And I don't know if you had read this edition yet. And I knew that I had picked up a couple of the comics and could not figure out what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah. Single issues because I had never read anything about the conception of it, of Morrison setting it up like, each issue is going to be the issue one of a potential new series from one of the multiverses. And that's, um, and that's just, but that's just if DC wanted to run with it, he's like, right, right, right. It can work perfectly fine just as a one shot, but if anybody wanted to, and he set that up intentionally, not, you not even for him to go on. He's like, Hey, if anybody likes this and want to DC wants to keep doing it, I would love to see that happen. Um, yeah, I I'm think- glad you dug more into this because I, I definitely had that misunderstanding. And because at the time when they were putting out the single issues, everyone was labeled like multiversity as though this was another crossover event. And so I'd picked up a couple because I thought like, oh, this is this is weird. What's this new comic n- book number one that I've never mm-hmm. heard of before? Mm-hmm. And how is it already involved in this crossover event? I never do. Oh, the, the, the only crossover is that these are the, you know, whatever it is, eight, 12 separate issues. Not- yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
And they all, I, just, I love the fact that they all sort of learn, like they all can kind of communicate through, because like each, each subsequent issue reads the comics of the previous issue. So like the, the stories of the world we just read are actual real comics in the next, in the next. So like the, the, the Hitler one, the, uh, the, the overman Superman and Nazi Germany one opens with Hitler sitting on the, on the toilet, taking a giant dump, reading the comic that we, you know, the issue we just finished reading. And he's like, you know, he's screaming out like, yeah. God, no, this is terrible. This is a terrible issue. But this is how they all, and the only one that's consistently in each world is this ultra comics issue, which you find out is actually kind of like a poison pill that, right. that, um, so not only is, is it, it is a disconcerting to learn that every time this ultra comics issue appears in each of these worlds, something goes wrong. Then you yourself in the real world that you're living in get to read it too. Is you're just like, Oh God, there's, there's a lot about that issue that just was very unsettling, but in a really satisfying way. Like I was this whole thing, as soon as I got the hardcover and I finished it, like, I just, I want to go back again. Um, hmm. It's just because there's it, it. Each issue on its own is just an amazing little piece of of creativity. But just when you take it all together as a single work, like it might be, it might be my favorite thing Grant Morrison has ever done. It's just it's so it, it's very accessible. Like it's weird enough to sort of satisfy the 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 Morrison you know people who really want the avant garde you know Dada surrealism stuff. Um, but it's it's very accessible. I think to just regular folks who want to, or regular readers who are like, I just want a straightforward thing, but the, it's that overarching narrative that really kind of makes it kind of crazy cool and, and twisty and, and, you know, weird in the Morrison way. So hmm. I just, that's what I'm saying. Like get the, get the either digitally get the whole collected thing or physically. I think in either case, you're, if you get the whole bundled collection, you're doing yourself a, a service because it's just great to see all of this stuff in context. And then the deluxe edition has like, you know, a bunch of variant covers interviews design you know a bunch of you know dvd extras so to speak so that's kind of fun um and i just yeah, I, as i'm sitting here flipping through it I'm, i almost want to read it again right now and honestly as a as a reader of a couple of the single issues i would absolutely say you you got to go collect an edition however you do it yeah um, yeah so uh clarify one little story point to me is that the monitor that's introduced in the first issue or uh so he actually travels to these different universes. He travels. So, so once Nick's Woten and, and if you're, if you think that like, you know, there's the traditional monitors that are kind of like just joyless robots. This is more like just a dude who's got monitor like powers. So he's kind of like a God uh, okay. in the sense of the story. But yeah, he, he, once he turns in it, once he like revealed, you know, sheds his secret identity and becomes Nick's Woten, he's summoned to like a, another dimension. So he's the one that travels in this ship that's made of music. Like that's his ship and that's, that's where the ship comes from. And then once he gets taken by these creepy other characters, like it's, it's on like the, th uh, the, uh, sort of the Marvel, the Marvel stand in world that they go to, like that version of Thor, I think they just call him Thunderer, but that version of <laughs> Thor is the one that kind of tries, he sends out the SOS to, to, to get other heroes together to save Nick's Woten. Cause if he, if he's taken down, then like the, the, these sinister characters, are trying to control all of reality essentially. Um, so that's oh, okay. why, that's why the, the SOS goes out to all these other characters. They sort of, there's like the, you know, like the, what's, what's the ship, like the justice league ship that sort of orbits the earth. Isn't that called something sp uh, specific? Um, I just want to call it the JLA satellite, but I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> well, there's a version of that, that like kind of exists at the nexus of the multiverse. Um, so like they, all these, all these heroes are sort of assembled and summoned there. Um, and then that when we pick it back up again throughout the, in, the individual issues, little clues and things are, are, are left behind. But then once we pick it back up again at the, at the bookend issue, all of that starts to make sense. And it's, I, some people thought it was really convoluted. You know, I've read some reviews are like, this is just way too much. And it was way too ambitious and he didn't pull it off. I, I completely disagree. I think hmm. the more he tries to pack in just the more satisfying it becomes. Cause it's just like, he's really, it's like, it's like Grant Morrison's like love letter to all things DC. Like it just really, yeah. you, you can tell it's like him going, it's DC going, what do you want to do? And he's like, I, I just, I want to play in your vaults and do whatever I want. And this is what we got. Well, that's interesting really too, because I would have, uh, I, I, not that I thought Morrison was treating it with disrespect or something, but I wouldn't have thought of it as such a respectful tribute to all things DC before. Yeah, I would have seen it as more of like these disconnected, forgotten about characters or remixed characters or something. And What's that you know, too? That, that's how I did see it because I just didn't. It just didn't connect with me. But but hearing about the project as a whole uh, makes me much more excited about it. Now, 
do the issues have to be read in a certain kind of order or is it a, the feeling of like you could you could mix it up you can mix it up as long as you bookend it there's a, there's the two bookend issues you kind of have to read those one after the other um and you don't even have to read the single issues in between like for example when i when i got three digital issues i think i read the the nazi one first then the uh charlton one the pax americana one and then i think i read the issue one like the first bookend you know the one that that kind of sets up the whole bigger story and then so when i read it this way it didn't you can kind of mix and match i honestly though it's a very it's a very satisfying experience to go start to finish um at least in terms of like either single issues if you want to just get them all digital or just single issues as physical like that's fine too but it does need to be you you get more enjoyment out of it by by taking the time and just consuming it all at once regardless of the order you go in interesting well, and I like, um, you know, what the, the other thing that uh, excites in me is that uh, when I went to the Wikipedia page for it, um, as you were describing it, just to sort of check some of the names and stuff like that, like we do, uh, I, I found a quote from someone that explained, like, think of this as the trilogy, the end of the trilogy that began with Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm. where the multiverse collapsed, and then mm. Infinite Crisis, which I haven't read. I actually haven't read either of those. Um uh, where they tried to restore that or something, you know, it was basically like, here's the, the death, the rebirth and, and whatever, this would be the end of the trilogy. And that makes me think of like, that just makes me more excited about it. Like, Oh, what a cool way to talk about these complicated concepts that they were dealing with in there, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, again, and that just speaks to this again, to the cyclical nature of it. Like yeah. you know, they, they give, they, they, they do a little nod to those, all those different kind of events that have happened in the, uh, in the issue, that's the, the guidebook issue. Um, like space Batman meets like little kid Batman at some point. And they're like, they find this guidebook and they're like, what is all this? And they're like, well, and they, they're kind of like going through the history of like, you know, there once there was one universe that was broken, it was shattered and everybody forgot. And then it was remerged and every, everybody forgot what was, you know, learned then. And then we all remembered this. And it's just, they're just going through all this. Like, again, it's happened before it'll happen again. We've forgotten, we've forgotten our future, all just all of those kinds of, those little motifs. And I, again, as, as somebody who's, I don't really have the time or interest to like delve into the, the whole full history of every, you know, every event like that. I'm pretty familiar with flashpoint, but that's about it. Um, right. So right. It's kind of just a cool way to, 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 you know, it's, it felt more like myth than anything. It's like this, you know, like, like myth written on the walls of caves, like this once happened and we have some record of it, but we don't remember really what this was about. Like, I like that sort of feeling. Right. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, it's all, it all makes more sense to me now. <laughs> yeah, well, good. Well, good. And you really, I, I, as somebody, you know, we, we're pretty indie in our, our picks usually, but, you know, we, we, we do have our, our sort of loves on the big two. And I think this is one you might, you might dig it, at least appreciate it from just the, the sheer ambitious nature of it. But also, like, he did a really good job creating all these issue ones of all these series. Like, each of these series could go on and be immensely satisfying. Um, and I would probably be, if, if I heard tomorrow, like, oh yeah, DC is going to start doing it. They'll at least do 10, 10 new issues of each series. I would grab them all. Cause I'm like, I, I would love to see how these characters evolve. Well, and that's interesting too, because um, Morrison uh, was also involved in, um, well, maybe he only did the Wonder Woman, but he did Wonder Woman Earth One, correct? And that was terrible. Which, yeah. Which you and I both <laughs> read and did not like. No, um, it was very bad. And I was, I, and actually I read that after this and I was super excited for that. Um, having read this going, Oh my God, this, and I'd heard about it and been working on it for a while. And so then I read that. And I'm just like, man, this is, this is not, this is, I don't know. It just fell so flat for me. Yeah. I, same, same here. And, and just story wise, it had nothing to do with, um, you know, they, they actually could have gone much crazier. And, and what I hear is that now the new run of Wonder Woman, like the Greg Rucka one, I guess was, is supposed to be like, it sort of feels like that retelling that we wanted, you know? Mm, gotcha. Um, yeah. Nothing really happens in Wonder Woman Earth one. It's extremely boring. Um, it's the extremely boring, kind of offensive. <laughs> like <laughs> there's some moments where you're like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Like Etta Candy is really, really a cliche now. All right. It's <laughs> just, yeah, the art is pretty. Like, yeah, the art was gorgeous, and originally when they were talking about it, it was going to be just all black and white. Um, mm. So, like the original kind of pitch, because I remember him uh, Morrison was talking about it on an episode of Fat Man on Batman where he just was starting it, and the way he's described, it, I was like, "Oh, that sounds great! I'd love to." And then I bought it, and I was like, "This is not at all what I what he was teasing." And may and who knows, it may have just been 
it started off a great idea, but just the execution just could never, they could never figure it out. I, I mean, who knows? I know some people love it, um, but this is, I, I'm sort of a, I, one of those people that's, I think Morrison's either, it's really hit and miss. I think he is, he is, you're either going to really love it or you're just going to be like, I, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> and I, uh, and I find it's weird. I, I hit that limit. There's uh, the first volume of the invisibles. I really struggled with. Cause I'm like, man, I want to like this more than I am. And then like on subsequent readings, I'm like, okay, I, I, I appreciate this now, but just, it's great. And I like that. He's sort of that kind of author where you're like, you never know what you're going to get. Like this may be a complete dud. This may be the greatest thing I've read all month. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. multiversity, grab it. Grab it. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm glad we got to dig deep into that because you have now sold me on a comic that I had previously brushed off. Even when you and I had talked about it, Previously, I did. I, you know, di- there, we didn't go deep enough into it where I felt like I wanted to read it. So now I do. Yeah, that's awesome. No, that's great. That's um, yeah, maybe sometime we should do <laughs> when when we talk about doing those picks where we both do the same thing. Do Wonder Woman Earth One and really yeah. get into it. <laughs> I mean, we'd have to go on a page by page basis because there's just so much that I'm just <sighs> like, I ah, do. I let's just for those listening, uh, what his original intention was was to capture wonder woman as it's as the original uh like the original guy like the doctor who created it with his wife and their like their lover which that the movie has just come out um about that with uh, luke evans playing like the is it like mr masters or dr masters or whatever his name is Masters professor anyway, marston something? something yeah something like that but there's a movie about this story and it's really the guy who basically the guy who invented the the polygraph test created wonder woman with his wife and their sort of mutual lover um and so uh, he wanted Grant Morrison wanted to kind of honor a lot of that original sort of thinking uh, in doing this, and I was really intrigued by that. But then what we got was, I don't know, it just it wasn't that. It was some other kind of. It was almost like the, the, the it's almost like the stuff on the cutting room floor from any Wonder Woman book. That's like, well, we don't need this. He just decided to make a whole issue out of it, and just. Eh. It anyway. seems to me like the only action scene in it is her like fighting a bear or something. <laughs> And that's almost oh. in a flashback, maybe. And like, there's a lot of there's a lot of panels of the, like her trying like, on clothes and just like, yeah. like just a bunch of. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, maybe, Todd. Maybe we don't need a whole episode on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll just it'll sound it'll sound more like one of our aborted episodes of uh, of American Gods cast, where it's just me being disappointed the entire time and you. <laughs> confused and slightly less disappointed but still just like what, what, what are we doing going like i don't remember what this <laughs> what is this yeah uh, anyway well what, where can folks find us uh in general todd oh you can find this podcast on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher soundcloud pod bean probably and all those other pod things what's the one you like pocket cast i like pocket uh, cast that's a good one um yeah. stitcher uh, yeah all, all, all the above we're everywhere uh, yeah. And what about if they wanted to find us on social media, where would they look? We are find us there. Uh, anytime you just search for that username, find us there. And then our website is findusthere.org. And hopefully by the time you're listening to this, it's all new and improved and all kinds of cool stuff. So we'll talk more about that soon. Awesome. I wanted to plug one thing for myself, which is that I have recently launched a, a public Instagram account at Hey Todd A. Uh, yeah, I, I've I've had a private one for a while, but I thought oh, I should I should go public with an Instagram account because nice. I, it's the only social media I kind of like creating stuff for. Yeah, so. me too. <laughs> that and yeah. Pinterest. Yeah. Anything you got to plug personally? Uh, not right now, but I'm actually. It's funny. I, I'm actually building up a, a really good Pinterest page, kind of in anticipation of the new website for us and some other cool stuff. So I think the next next episode will have a lot of cool stuff to talk about. Very cool. Well, we will get to that next episode soon. Uh, We will catch you next week for another Coffee and Comics. Bye-bye.